Yeah, let's run the shit out of the ball, baby. They're wrestling, so are we. Punch them in the mouth. Raise your glasses to kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> <laughs>、Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. It's、uh, Sam Sinclair, of course, and as always with me is Jake Arrod. And today on the show,、uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We hinted at it a little bit.、Uh, we said we we're going to kind of go into an unfiltered, unscheduled podcast about the core of everything we we're talking about with the quarterback situation.、Uh, we were actually just talking about it off air before we went on. So,、um, Yeah, we're going to go into that now. We don't really know how long the episode's going to be.、Uh, we're just going to kind of go with it. So,、uh, Jake, we were just talking about Jordan Love. You don't think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick.、Uh, I just, like, we, like, we, like we've talked about, the Patrick Mahomes comparison. Look at what the Chiefs had to do. They traded up, what, 22 to like top 10 or whatever to get Pat, to get Pat Mahomes. I just think there's going to be a team around the middle of the first round. That is going to need a quarterback. Maybe, a, maybe it's a team that has a veteran quarterback.、Uh, they're probably going to have to trade up and get Jordan Love. And I think that's why he might be a top 10 pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get the, I get the, you know, the, the intangibles. I get the comparisons. You know, we just talked about on our show about, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. He's in that mold. I just, you know, if you're a team that's trading up going into the top 10, You know, you, you're, you're picking at 17, 18, 21, whatever, and you're trading up with whatever team, which, you know, to your point about a team trading up, a lot of those teams in the top 10 have glaring needs. It's not, I mean, if you want to go up into the top five, you know, maybe Washington wants to move back, maybe Detroit wants to move back. But when you get into those, you know, four, five, six, seven, eights, I mean, all those teams have glaring needs with, with marquee position players. So, number one, you have to talk a team. Into moving out of position to draft. Just, I mean, when you talk about in that top 10 pick, I mean, there are some elite, elite players in that top 10 that could build valuable boys. I mean, you have tackles, you know, you have, you have other quarterbacks outside of love, you have high quality receivers, you have pass rushers, you have generational potentially interior defensive linemen. And I just think that, you know, to trade up all the way from 21, number one, is a team going to trade back from seven to 20? Or from seven to 16. I mean, that's, that's hard to do because once you get outside of the top half, you know, it's really different from, you know, going from seven to 10 or from six to 10 or five to 11. I mean, that's, that's a different jump. You're losing, you know, kind of that elite status in terms of what the type of players are. And I just think general managers are number one going to be hesitant to move outside of that. And number two, if you're a manager that's more, if you're a general manager that's mortgaging that. To move up that far. I just think that although I'm not as high on Justin Herbert's skill set or, or on field product, not the skill set, but the product, I just think that, that he's just a safer pick for a team to mortgage their future to move up and, and get a guy that's played in college football playoffs that, you know, despite his plateau in performance, still has really good college numbers, you know, playing at high levels against high level defenses versus a guy who, you know, in Jordan Love playing against Mountain West. Through a boatload of interceptions, and Ballard can you know, say whatever he wants about him, but the numbers were terrible. I know his, I know his,、uh, I know his offensive line was bad. He had terrible receivers. You know, his coaching staff, apparently that was you know, a big turnover situation there as well. But at the end of the day, if you're going to move up you know, 14 spots, that's going to cost you a lot. I think the Saints moved up 
in a similar situation, like five, six spots and have to give up their next first round pick to draft a linebacker. You know, so you're not even talking about the quarterback premium. I just think that, you know, with Jordan Love, I'm just not completely sold yet on him being a top 10 pick with a combination of the talent in that top 10 with tackles, you know, the couple guys like Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown, um, you know, and the other quarterbacks around him, Justin Herbert, what happens with Tua? Does he slide a little bit because of his medicals? I just, I don't think it's a lock at all that he's a top 10 pick. Yeah. And I think with Tua, at least, uh, it almost seems like he's at least going to go top five. And I think it's, there's been, you know, there's been the rumors that the the Redskins could possibly take two. I think that's just a bunch of bull. I think that's I'm calling bluff on that. I don't know how you pass up a generational pass rusher like Chase Young like that, especially with Washington at least how they built up that defensive line with all those picks. Um, but back to the Colts, we I just talked, I told I told you about it before the show, and I texted you about it. Fans all around they saw that the Chargers traded their left tackle Russell Okun for. Uh, Trey Turner, and if people really think about it, Trey Turner's an interior offensive lineman. So the Chargers have a hole at left tackle, and you kind of hinted at it on the last show how the Chargers could possibly go get a left tackle. They've got there's plenty of options. You got uh, you got Andrew Thomas from Georgia. You've got uh, Tristan Wars from Iowa. Uh, you got Makai Becton from Louisville. There's plenty of generational left tackles available for the Chargers for them to take a six. And I'm gonna, I'm kind of getting to the point now where I would not be surprised if the Chargers passed up on a quarterback at six, because like I told you a lot off air, I listen to a lot of NFL podcasts, so I get to know a little bit about every other team. And I've been hearing from a couple people that they really liked Tyrod Taylor, and they really liked what he brought last year, and that guy took the Bills to the playoffs just a few years ago, and so I think maybe the Chargers might, as much as it doesn't sound sexy. They could possibly move to Las Vegas next year or wherever they're moving. They could move to Las Vegas and have Tyrod Taylor at least be their bridge-type quarterback for the next two years while they try to shore up that offensive line. And I think that's just – I think maybe that, you know, we possibly could see Justin Herbert or Jordan Love fall a little bit in the draft to where, you know, as we we kind of expect them to be a top-ten pick. Yeah, and I mean, and that that's the caveat also is – you know, the Chargers have needs at, at offensive line. And a lot of these teams picking in the top 10 that may have quarterback needs also have offensive line needs. Really? And, six, six through 10, I think it's what? Carolina, Jacksonville, the Jets, and the Browns, if I'm correct, if that's six through 10 in that order somewhat, they all really yeah, need offensive line eight. help. You have the Cardinals at eight. I mean, and after after the Chargers. And even eight, yeah, really, I mean, sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting, but really. Six to ten, eleven. They all need offensive line help. Yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of teams do, and it's just you know, there's also this wild card of you know Jake Fromm. You have Jalen Hurts. You have Jacob Eason. You have Anthony Gordon. Don't I mean, you dare say lot, Jake Fromm on his podcast, Jake. <laughs> a lot of these teams could easily you know say, well, we like one of these guys in the second or third rounds. We have high picks in those rounds. We're going to invest in in a high quality offensive lineman because we know that. You know, you build around a quarterback with no line, and they get killed. We had probably the big, the best surefire prospect in the history of this league, and he got ran out of the league in seven years because we couldn't protect him. And I, I honestly think that that puts the league on notice. I think that you know there will be this kind of changing of the guard. You look at Cam Newton with his injury history. The Panthers were never really able to get a high quality line in front of him either. Um, you know, I just think that there will be a more of a more of more pressure to maybe build an offensive line first 
And if A, you see a valuable quarterback in the second or third rounds, take it a good value pick. Or B, say, you know what? Like you said, we have Tyrod Taylor. Let's shore up the offensive line. And if we don't like what we see, then we go into the next draft. If you if he stinks, you're probably going to still be drafting around the same area. That's what happens when you don't have good quarterback play. So if they if they if they shore up the offensive line and Tyrod Taylor plays great, well, fantastic. Now you don't have to spend a top ten pick on a quarterback. But if he stinks, you're still pinging in the top ten, and you now have a franchise left tackle. You know, to be able to shore up that offensive line, because, again, you you throw these young guys uh, under the fire with these bad offensive lines and you just see them get ruined. It's, it's a big reason why a lot of these top 10 quarterbacks or even top 15 picks get just mauled. And then you see guys like Russell Wilson go to well-run organizations and light the league on fire. It, it's a it's no it's no surprise. Their offensive line isn't good, but, you know, they have a, they have a good organization. They're well-run. And they drafted him in the third round, got, you know, got some help around him, um, you know, but I think that that's a big reason why you see that all these teams fail at that quarterback position. And I think, you know, the, the Chargers are ran by Tom Telesco. You know, he's a former Colts executive and I, you know, very smart guy, you know, knows what a well-run well organization is and a team that, you know, a lot of people have Justin, uh, Jordan Love kind of now, you know, maybe lightly penciled into because of you know, the, the measurables in the combine and, and all those things. Um, you know, I, I think that he's a smart enough guy to know, listen, you have to invest in the tackles, you have to get protection, and then you go after their quarterback. And that's why I just don't really think Love is this slam dunk top 10 pick. And that's just outside of the issues of, well, why did this guy throw 17 interceptions? And and then we haven't even brought up about him. His floor just seems incredibly low. I mean, you know, yeah, Mahomes that's ceiling, like, man, that's ceiling. Well, I think that's what teams are going to be chasing after. Well, that's why he's that's why he's a guaranteed first round pick. I mean, he he's guaranteed going to be a first round pick regardless, you know. But it, it's just Patrick Mahomes was a risk, but he wasn't this big of a risk. I mean, Jordan Love is a risk. Jordan Love could bust out big time. I don't think Justin Herbert's going to bust out big time. Could Justin Herbert be underwhelming? Yeah, but I think Justin Herbert is probably at worst going to be a solid franchise guy. You know, a, a you know winnable franchise quarterback. You know, yeah, if we're looking at ceilings game. between the two, I think Justin Herbert could be like a Pro Bowl type quarterback. But when you're looking at Jordan Love at the ceiling, he's probably a top five quarterback and probably a quarterback that can lead your franchise and probably put you in multiple Super Bowls. Well, when you look at when you look at Justin Herbert, I think that one thing that's going to peak uh, the scouts and, and executives when they put on the tape, he has shown the ability to put it together. And sure, it's not the 10-inch hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 shown that ability. So, you know, if you're a scout and a, a general manager and, you know, we get the, the great access last year from the With the Next Pick series, you know, you see those those kinds of discussion they have. And if you're in that room talking about the, these prospects, you know, and you say, hey, listen, yeah, Jordan Love may have a higher ceiling, but Justin Herbert, he can put it together too now, and he has a high ceiling himself. So they may say we, we lose some of that floor – and this is a guy that at six six, you know, big build, strong arm, can move. Um, you know, he may be a, even a better mobile athlete than Jordan Love. Uh, he just can't make the same type of throws he can. But you know, if you're if you're an executive, you say, man, if we're trading up, if you use that theory, say a team trades up, you know, to want a quarterback, I just think that that Justin Herbert's going to appeal to a, a to a wider a wider net of general managers and executives because of the fact that his floor isn't so low. He comes from uh, a top 25 program. He's played in college football, uh, 
uh, playoff games. And I think that's a big factor, too, is the fact that Jordan Love hasn't really played in any big games in his career. So it's the question of how's he going to perform on the big well, stage. Well, Patrick Mahomes, to be honest. Yeah, of course. But again, and, and the thing with Patrick Mahomes is there was just there was just a lot more on tape than what's on tape of Jordan Love. Like, and Mahomes had like a supreme arm. Yeah. It's not compare. I mean, it's. I don't want to say it's not comparable, but it, Jordan Love is not on Patrick Mahomes level. I don't want people use that comparison because it's 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 it allows you to really process the kind of talent that he possesses. But he's not on Patrick Mahomes' level. When you know when this this whole Jordan Love thing started, I went back and watched Mahomes because I didn't last year. And when you watch him, it's it's a different level from what Jordan Love. Even if you turn on his junior tape. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he will be. Yeah, that was, that's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, why are you comparing these two? Because Mahomes is a little bit bigger. He's got the bigger arm, of course. I think he's a little bit more mobile. I think the only thing really comparable to him is that they both played at small schools. They had limited talent at those schools, and they can make the off-script, off-platform off, uh, off throws. I think that's really the only comparison. But that was when yeah. I was watching the film, I was just like, how are these guys like directly tied together? Because I don't really see it. Yeah, I mean, it may be a, a loose comparison, but I think it's just, you know, and also people see that, you know, Chris Ballard was in Kansas City and they scouted Patrick Mahomes and they see that, you know, he's going to these games that Jordan Love is supposed to be at. So they make a bunch of connections. A lot of a lot of media make a lot of connections as well. And, you know, you just you just fall in love with this type of comparison. And, you know, I mean, again, I think he can be a special type of off script player. Um, you know, I think he can be a very, very high quality franchise guy. I think he has the highest potential really of anyone in this draft outside of maybe Joe Burrow and, and Tua, you know, those top two guys, but you, you take those guys off the board and, you know, Jordan love at, at 13, I think would be, you know, a very, very good selection. I just don't, I just don't have the confidence that maybe some other people I've heard on, on television or, you know, you had talked about him being a slam dunk top 10. I just think there's too many question marks. You know, there's two, there are more question marks than there was with Mahomes. I get what people say of Mahomes was a question mark as well, but if you look at these two, you know, their their career production and and Mahomes was was even more gifted. I mean, he just looked like, you know, a completely a different level type player. And and a lot of people were just worried about, you know, his ability to perform in the NFL at that level and that was quickly put to bed. You know, so I think that that Patrick Mahomes and he went number 10. I mean, so it's not like Mahomes went right. He went number 10 to the Chiefs, right? Uh, somewhere around there, top ten. I don't know that much. So even he didn't go top five, and now you have people saying Jordan loves number six. You know, oh, lock him into the Chargers at number six. He's not going to fall. Well, you have you have three guys that are probably ahead of him right now, and and you know if if you want to say Herbert's equal, that's fine. But you, they're trying to tell us now that four quarterbacks are going to go in the top six. I just I, I don't know, man. I'm not biting on it. I See, think I think that, if a team trades up and gets Jordan Love, then I think Justin Herbert falls, and I. I saw a mock somewhere. I think it might have been Todd McShay of ESPN. He had Jordan Love in the top ten, and he had Justin Herbert at thirteen. And I think that's probably what, probably what uh, the, uh, the the draft's going to go by this uh, this year. Yeah, and you have a couple trade down candidates. You know, kind of going down this rabbit hole. You have the Cardinals at eight. You know, are the are the Jaguars going to trade down? Who knows? I mean, they could be a wild card for a quarterback too. But the, the Jaguars love selecting quarterbacks. They they pick them all the time. Um, you know, obviously the Browns are set, then you have the Jets are set, and then the Raiders in front of us are a wild card. So, you know, there are wild cards in front of us, potential trade up situations in front of us. But again, it's just 
you know, none of those teams, I think, are going to want to trade down from, you know, 7 to 21 or 7 to 20. I mean, you're losing out on a premium talent. And I think, yes, it's great to trade back and, and acquire picks. You know, we've done it and had great success with it. But, you know, we've moved back from three to six. We also didn't have, need a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, some of these teams may not. You can, you know, if you want to say the Jaguars are wanting to see what they have with Minshew, that's fine. You know, I could see that. I, I wouldn't necessarily be sold yeah, on Carolina's that. Carolina's not in the quarterback market. They said they want to go with Cam, so. Yeah, and I, I think I think that they would be, you know, another team that would be wise to invest in, um, you know, the offensive line market as well. Um, you know, in that early in the with the early picks or, you know, trade down to, you know, 14 or 15. But, you know, you look at the Buccaneers, are they going to want to trade up, you know, with the situation? And if the Buccaneers trade up, you could argue that maybe Justin Herbert fits what Bruce Arians wants to do more. I mean, See, just I think our guy that we like a lot, Jacob Easton, I think that's the guy, at least who I want to see Tampa Bay pick up. I don't want him going after James Winston. I think he's a lost cause. I'd be, I would actually be very interested to watch uh, Jacob Eason play at Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think I, I agree. But, you know, just to say, just to use devil's advocate here, say Tampa Bay wants to trade up, you know, I mean, you could argue that that Justin Herbert fits uh, Bruce Arian's style a little more, just a bigger body, a guy that may be able to take hits more because he's going to be throwing downfield, you know, so having that bigger, taller guy, um, you know, Justin Herbert's arm is extremely strong, you know, so you can make a very real argument that if they trade up, they would target uh, Herbert more than love. And then you have the Broncos who won't need one. The Falcons won't need one. The Cowboys won't need one. The Dolphins will have probably already selected two at that point, you know, depending on what the Raiders have done, they won't need one. And then you start to slip into the twenties. And that's the real problem that I have with is a team going to trade up into the top 10 to select Tua because then at that point, you're going to have to mortgage a ton of picks because if you're sitting there, I mean, even if you say, say Green Bay or, or will, you know, move up a little higher, say Tennessee wants to trade up and get them. They're really the first, you know, viable option that would be in the market for a quarterback from 25 to seven. That that's just almost realistic to me. And that's why I just, I don't think that a team is realistically going to trade up for him. Now, is it, it, could it happen? Could Tampa Bay fall in love with him? Sure. But I just don't think it's nearly the slam dunk for him that people think. And I, I just think that, you know, for me, I think it's more likely that love comes to us at 13 than Justin Herbert. I just think there's a little bit too much hype in the media right now about the Mahomes comparisons. And we have this new age quarterback kind of taking over the league and he fits that mold. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these GMs and scouts, you know, still come from, you know, old school type of thought. And, and Justin Herbert just fits that mold to a T. And, and adds an athletic layer to him that I just think he's going to be too much for a team to pass up. If if they're at seven or eight and, you know, a team wants a quarterback, I just think that Herbert's going to get the nod there. I just think the size and, and his production in college at a high-level school, I just think is going to trump the the quote-unquote upside from Jordan Love, especially with the, the senior season he just had. And so a guy that I know we haven't really talked about really a whole lot on the show is Jacob Eason. That's a guy – you know, we're really intrigued by, you know, he had he played one year at Washington. Was what he, like, 21 years old? He's not very old. Uh, he's got the big arm. I actually wasn't all that impressed by his combine performance, really. And it, that 40 time really disappointed me. I knew he wasn't a really fast guy, but him running the 4-9 was not all that impressive. But, man, I told my dad, when we were watching, I was like, hey, watch Jacob Easton right here. I was like, watch him throw this deep ball right here. And he... Like, I swore he, like, ever, effortlessly threw it, like, 60 yards, and I'm just like, yep, 
That's his arm right there. And but I just the more and more I watch Eason, I'm just kind of getting more and more off the ship and everything like that. So, everything like that, just because I see a little bit of Jacoby Brissett in him with the inac. He kind of struggles with inaccuracies. You know, like we've said, he doesn't he doesn't take off take anything off his throws. All of his short throws, he thinks he's throwing it 70 yards. It seems like and. I don't know. I'm just get more and more. I'm getting a little worried. Of course, we would have to take him at 34, so we we would give him time to develop. Of course, but I don't know. More and more every day, I'm kind of falling off of the Jacob Eason bandwagon. Now, the thing the thing for me that that keeps me on Eason and why I'm really high on him. Number one, he's extremely young and inexperienced. So you know those flaws you talk about. This isn't like Brissett where he was a multi-year starter at NC State. You know. He only had really one year. He got injured at Georgia, got booted for Fromm, and then winds up at Washington, has to take the year off, and then starts his year. You know, so he he comes in and has kind of this boy wonder thing. He has all those connections to Washington, you know, and, and I think a lot of people were maybe let down. You know, he was a five-star recruit in high school, you know, local legend out there, you know, and, and a lot of fans were just kind of let down by the season he had. But, I mean, he's extremely young and inexperienced, and so those things – when you look at his ability to place the ball, you know, you you talked about it when we first watched his tape, his ability to throw his guys open, you know, the touch he's able to show that he can put on the ball is impressive. Yeah, he's got good touch. His accuracy is just the question, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, number one, he wasn't working with, you know, these receivers for multiple years or, or playing in this system for multiple years. And, and some red flags, to play devil's advocate with him, some red flags were – that they made a Baker Mayfield comparison of, you know, Baker Mayfield sat, started the next year and lit the world ablaze because he was able to sit, learn the, learn oh, the play. I don't like that comparison. I don't. Well, I, I'm not saying as a player. I'm saying as, as terms of, in terms of a lot of people say, well, Eason didn't perform. Oh, are, you talking about, are you talking about Baker sitting in the NFL? No, okay, no. Because I was. I, he transferred to Oklahoma, sat for a year. And because yeah. of that, he's able to oh, refine. His, yeah, his I don't like that comparison at all. Because who's, who's the quarterback of Oklahoma, or who's the coach of Oklahoma now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, but Oklahoma—they just like I don't know—they could literally put you and me out there at quarterback, and we probably would throw fifty yeah. touchdowns and five thousand yards. I mean, you know, but but the people do say that that you know he had he was able to sit for a year at Washington, and he shouldn't be as you know, as wild as sometimes he can be. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily believe his accuracy was a, a huge problem. I mean, you know, I thought honestly, when I turned on Jake Fromm's tape, I thought, you know, based on reputation and the couple games I watched him, I watched him when he played Notre Dame and a couple others, I thought he was going to show great accuracy and he kind of disappointed me. You know, Jacob Eason, I thought, man, for a young guy, his accuracy is there. He just, like you said, he needs to take some off. He needs to learn the levels of the field. And I think that everything with Eason, if the reports of him being lazy aren't true, because, you know, there's a rumblings and it's not from anyone credible, but I've I've read on there from people and heard some videos um, that and listened to some videos that say that some people are concerned about his work ethic. You know, you brought up Jay Cutler and that just gave me nightmares that, you know, it's kind of a kind of a legitimate comparison, you know, all the talent in the world, but just not the work ethic. But if the work ethic is there. I just don't see anything with Eason that concerns me to the level of a guy like Justin Herbert. Like Jacob Eason, because you have such a small sample size, is really a blank slate. And I think that at 34, that's just that's just a really good value for a guy that brings you a lot of similar traits as some of these other guys, you know, can make the outstanding throws, 
can throw with, with anticipation, can throw with touch. He's just not as mobile. I think that you lose the mobility. I think, you know, the Jacoby Brissett physical comparisons are accurate, but J- but Jacob Eason has no issues with confidence. I don't think you're going to have the same issues of him throwing downfield, him just completely panicking, missing guys. I mean, I just think that a lot of problems with him are just he's inexperienced. And, you know, like you said, he played at Washington. He's not he's not playing in a powerhouse conference. He's not, you know, playing with, with elite skill set players. Now, his offensive line was great. But I, I just didn't really see outside of Hunter Bryant, who I thought he made look really good. I thought him and Hunter Bryant had really good chemistry throughout the season. Um, you know, so it's for me with Eason, I get the concerns and it would be a gamble. But, you know, again, at 13, you're gambling huge with Jordan Love. The upside may not be as big and the floor may be as low. That's why you're that's why you're gambling at 34 instead of 13. But that's why I've just been so high on Easton through this process. It's just I really like the I really like the things he shows as a young player. And I think his arms, his arm talent is very, very high. He showed it in, in high school, being a five-star recruit, has good size. He's maybe a big, uh, you know, a thicker type build than guys like Herbert and Love, you know, who may, may be susceptible to injury with a slighter frame. So I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying about Easton and would I take him in 13? No chance in hell. But you take him at 34, I mean, you have a chance at 13 to get another generational type player to another position and then get a value pick at a guy. So if, I mean, if, if Andrew Luck was in this draft and he slid to 13, obviously you're, you're going to take him there, but he's not sliding to 13. You know, Jordan Love is, Justin Herbert is, and there's questions about these guys as well. So, you know, I, I don't think Eason brings the type, the same amount of upside as them because of the athleticism. But, you know, if we took Jacob Eason at 34, I'd be ecstatic because, you know, we would have then got, you know, a Javon Kinlaw or, you know, a Malcolm Brown or, you know, some of those other guys or, or even one of the elite receivers or even was able to trade back. I mean, you can use that to trade oh, back. At don't say, I, don't, I don't know if Colts fans would take a trade back this year. Maybe not. I mean, and I, I don't blame them. I mean, but if you're, if they're dead set on a receiver, I would. I mean, this you have you have close to 30 guys that look like legit NFL receivers. And, you know, I mean, if, if they if they pass up on a Kinlaw, you know, to trade back, I know that's a that's a hot button player you know, for us or, or one of those other guys like that, you know, I don't think that that would be smart, but you know, if, if he's off the board and, you know, Brown's off the board and, you know, these, you know, obviously they're not in the market for a tackle anymore. So at what juncture do you say, okay, well, the best player here is a receiver, but we can also get an elite receiver at, you know, 18 or 20, you know, so it, it would just leave a lot more options on the table. If they could, if, if Jacob Beeson was a guy that piqued their interest and was a guy that slid down into the second round, that you would be able to grab and get value with, because again, it's a gamble for all of them. And at least with Eason, you're not investing a top 15 pick. And see, we asked this question on the, on the Twitter accounts. We asked if the Colts are sitting there at 13, let's say Miami ended up taking an offensive tackle at number five, and they were sold on the tackle over, over to a of a lowest medical. What if Miami offered 18 and 26 for the Colts 13th overall pick with Jordan Love on the board? And I think you were the one to ask this question off air, but I know I had to think about it a long time. Because, you know, the Colts would end up with 18, 26, 34, 44, and 74, 75. And I, I think initially I said Jordan Love. I would take Jordan Love. And then I think I texted you a little later and said I'd love those picks. Uh, but I, I'm still struggling with that question, man, because I don't – I mean, you're only moving back five picks. And if, let's say – you know, Herbert and Tua are still on the board somehow. I mean, there's a possibility you could land either one of those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, and it just all depends. I mean, that's what I was talking about. When you go past us, you know, there's kind of this, like, black hole of teams that don't necessarily need a quarterback. So, you know, I mean, if, again, if you're not completely sold on Lover Herbert and, you know, one of those premium position players aren't there, you know, and you're you're just kind of chomping at the bit saying, hey, we need a playmaker at receiver at this juncture or trade back and say, you know, we really like one of these safeties or corners. But, you know, you can trade back and get one of those guys, which is, I think, what they did with Rocky Scene. They were going to take him with their first round pick. And then they said, you know what, we could trade back five picks and still get him. And they ended up doing that and ended up getting pick number 34 this year. And it looks like a King's ransom. So, you know, if they do that, if, if quarterbacks off the board at 13, that's why these guys like Eason and, and from as much as we don't like him, um, you know, and, and Jalen Hurts as much as I don't like him either, you know, and Anthony Gordon and even this James Morgan now, I guess, is a thing. That's that's the the Dead Sea part of the, the draft process right there when James Morgan becomes a thing. But, you know, that's why these guys become interesting, because it just allows so much more flexibility for you at 13. You can trade back or take a marquee player. And I, I just think that that's why, you know, Eason for me brings such such a high ring. It's just I, I really like his talent, and I think that he could provide a value pick, and it's kind of a, a, a home run, in my opinion, that if – and, and that, again, this all holds up on is he is he a work ethic guy. And Kevin Bowen, you know, had a great podcast on, you know, these guys, and, and they interviewed some of these guys. And he even said Jacob Beeson kind of gave off this too cool for school vibe, which, you know, raises my when level. Did that, of- when did that get posted? It was a couple of weeks. It was, a, you know, a week ago, you know, when they ran the combine. But he was talking about, you know, guys that impressed him, you know, in terms of their uh, in terms of their interviews and brought up Jordan Love, you know, had a couple of nice tidbits of him. They had asked him, uh, you know, about his interceptions. And they said, uh, are you sick of hearing about 17 picks? And he said, well, if I didn't want to hear about it, I shouldn't have thrown them. So he had thrown that nice nugget out there about Love, said Fromm was impressive, um, you know, in terms of his his interview, which surprises no one. Do you know um, what's you not know, impressive about Jake Fromm? Virtually, physically, virtually everything physically. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, I, and I even told my dad, I'm like, this is the biggest travesty of the combine, having Jacob Eason go in the uh, on-field drills and then have Jake Fromm follow him. And I told oh. my dad, I'm like, watch, I'm like, watch Jake Fromm's lower half, his his legs and everything like that. See if he falls through. Because that's literally something he said he needed to do at the combine when they were doing the press conferences a few days before. And majority of the throws I saw him throw, he didn't finish with his lower body. And uh, I, Jake, Jake Fromm, I'm like, I feel like he's such a hot topic, ironically enough. Like, if we got him at 44, I would actually like it. But, man, if we got him at 34 or somehow at 13, I would mm. probably burn down my house. Because, like, he's <laughs> Like, honestly, probably other than Joe Burrow and probably Tua, he's probably got the highest floor. But, man, he really has a limited ceiling. Yeah, this is weird from Hive of this guy's going to go first round. This guy's a first-round quarterback. You can have him. His arm talent is just, is just okay. It's good enough. Like, no. I, if I'm getting a franchise quarterback, I don't want a quarterback with arm strength just good enough. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I get, the, I get what people say in the poise, leadership, you know, he, he is he is good navigating a pocket. You know, he, he is he is a good decision maker, you know, makes quick decisions. But but the physical tools come into play here. Like we can't just slap any, you know, quarterback with with a good head on his shoulders and become your franchise quarterback. Like it doesn't work that way. And, you know, there's Fromm, kind of a reason why Pat Mahomes passed up Alex Smith in Kansas. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. And we already have a guy like that in Jacoby Brissett. Great teammate. 
know, I mean, he doesn't make the decision. I think, I think Fromm would be an upgrade just because he's a much better decision maker, you know, can attack uh, underneath defenses better. But, you know, I mean, again, that's not going to win you Super Bowls. Like, is it an upgrade? And, yeah, like you said, at 44, sure, go ahead. I mean, you're at 44 at that point. You probably got two outstanding position players at worst, again, barring trade back. You know, and at that juncture, it's like, hey, listen, you know, if they if they like Fromm's, Fromm's you know, uh, leadership ability, like you said, arm talent he can squeak by with, you know, but it's just for me, where is he going to make up for that and become a difference-making player? You know, is he going to be a solid pro in the right system? Yeah. Do I think he would be solid in the cold system? Yes. I think, honestly, and the that's what I'm so scared about. Like, he honestly fits our scheme. And yep. what Frank Wright talks about, he loves accuracy and mental processing. And there's a couple other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head. But And I'm just like, oh, my God, that sounds just like Jake Fromm. And nothing against Jake Fromm or nothing like that. I think he's a really good quarterback. I like him a lot. But – you, you know, if with this roster especially, you know, we're only a quarterback away from, you know, being a real tile contender. And I just think with Jake Fromm, you're asking for 10-11 wins and out in the divisional or conference round every year. The question, the question you ask yourself with a guy like Fromm, and we just saw it in the Super Bowl, is he does he have a higher ceiling or prospect than Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think so. I don't see this guy being noticeably better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's literally the only thing I took away from the Super Bowl. Because you look at the Super Bowl, and it's a perfect example, and I'm glad you brought it up. The 49ers have an elite defense and an elite running game and a, what would you say, top 15, top 20 quarterback? Yeah, what the, I mean. What, what do the Chiefs have? They have a, I would say, the best quarterback in the NFL. They've got one of the better run, uh, better one of the better uh, pass rushers in D. Ford and Chris Jones. They've got an elite receiver, elite tight end. That's it. The rest of the roster is filled up with, you know, guys off the street, basically. And who won the Super And what was the reason why – or what was the reason why the Chiefs won the Super Bowl? Because Patrick Mahomes took over in the fourth quarter. What And what did Jimmy G do in the fourth quarter? Basically nothing. I, th- I think he threw an interception, actually. You look at Pat Mahomes after he threw that interception. Yeah, I can't remember if it was in the third or early fourth quarter. They, lead, they went on three straight scoring touchdown drives that won the game. And I think that just shows – even if you have an elite defense and elite running game, which is what the Colts are trying to do, and I think they can get there, it just shows that you need an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Look at the AFC over the last, since 2000. It's been Brady, it's been Manning, and it's been a year of Roethlisberger and a, real, a few years of uh, Joe Flacco that have w- went to the Super Bowl. You need an elite quarterback to consistently contend for a Super Bowl. And that that's the hang up with Fromm. I mean, you just, you know, you say it, you say it all the time when we're, you know, talking privately, you only get one chance at this thing, you know, not one year, but you know, as Chris Ballard is a general manager, you know, you're only going to get so many opportunities and you have to swing. And even as the roster as a whole, sorry for interrupting again, but you look at it, uh, Kevin Bowen had talked about it. Teams only really win Super Bowls when their quarterbacks are on rookie deals. You look at Russell Wilson, they made it to two Super Bowls under his rookie deal. You look at Brady, he's constantly taking pay cuts. You look at uh, Patrick Mahomes just last year, he took a pay cut. Or, yeah, just last year, he took a pay cut. Look at all these younger quarterbacks, or look at all these teams that win Super Bowls, they're winning it under quarterbacks that are on either fairly cheap deals or, or deals that are still under their rookie contract. And so whatever quarterback comes in, either this year or next year, Bauer's going to have three years, I would say, to get to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl. For 
for it to be successful because, you know, once you if you get that elite quarterback, you're going to have to pay him top five money, and then the rest of your roster is going to disintegrate, really, because you're not going to be able to pay everyone else. Yeah, you can't you can't hoard enough. Chris Ballard is the king of hoarding salary cap, and you can't hoard enough salary to cover up what if Jordan Love turns into you know a top ten quarterback. He can't hoard enough salary to be able to to cover well, he, up. He's, he did very much pay his own guys, but I, I think it'd be very interesting this offseason. if Ballard doesn't spend this offseason, I'm going to start questioning a little bit uh, his willingness to spend in free agency. Yeah, I mean, you don't really have much, you know, to invest in in the near future. I mean, there will be guys coming up, but you know, you know, really, we outside, about really outside of Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, who are what two two years down the road, and maybe Marlon Mack, I don't see really anyone that's a slam dunk. Bam, we have to resign this guy because he is a cornerstone piece to this roster, and that includes, you know, a guy I like a lot, Malik Hooker. That I, he's on the fringe for me. So yeah, I mean, yeah. like like you said, they're the Colts are not really strapped for cash to re-sign anybody in the next year or so. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it'll give a nice foray into the the free agent quarterbacks. But, you know, another thing that will frustrate me about if we take from is these interested, if they sign a guy like Rivers or, you know, trade for Derek Carr or sign somebody else, whatever they decide to do, you know, if they do that and then draft a guy with like no ceiling, That'll be stupid to me. I mean, I don't want to That's question what's really handicapping your roster and your team. They're, they're much better at this than me. They're much smarter than me. But when I look at that from a fan perspective, if you're going to sign a Rivers or if you're going to trade for Carr or if you're going to sign Brady, whatever they decide to do, because the interest is obviously there, whether they do anything or not remains to be seen. But if you do that, why are you not drafting a guy like Jacob Eason or even an Anthony Gordon or, you know, or, or a Jordan Love? Draft a guy that has some upside. And, and you know, with Jake Fromm, he's essentially a guy. They had an article about him that he is the best quarterback in the draft. Now, obviously, this was before the draft. This is Joe Burrow now. But they said Jake Fromm is the perfect fill-in for teams that need a day-one starter. And the Colts were actually in that article because this was – And I can agree with that. I think he's probably – outside of Joe Burrow and maybe Tua, he's probably the most NFL ready. But, man, he's just got that limited ceiling. Exactly. That's what makes I mean, him a second-round quarterback. Exactly. I mean, and, and you, you could even argue that for me. I mean, with, with the amount of talent in this draft, I mean, you could even argue I, w- I wouldn't necessarily – I mean, if we didn't have that 44th pick, I wouldn't even consider him in the second. I would say you take him in the third or, or leave yeah. it. You know, but it, it, it's just, again, when you look at the situation that we have, we saw what happened when you have an average quarterback, and that's what he's going to be. Do it, I mean, he's not going to bust. I think he's going this to have a team legit game. went from 11 to 12 wins with Andrew Luck to 6 or 7 just because of the one position change. And and I guarantee, I don't like to crap on prospects. I don't like to, you know, overtalk my mouth. But I guarantee you Jake Fromm will never be a top 10 quarterback in the league. There is nothing special about his game. When you're when the number one thing you talk about is his head, that's that's not good hmm. because that's, that's what they do with Jacoby Brissett. And it doesn't mean it's not valid. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. But again, physical tools matter. There's a reason Chris Ballard drafts guys with 400-foot wingspans. There's a reason he foregoes certain players to draft, you know, higher upside skill players. Because physicality matters in this league. And there's not one physical trait about Fromm that stands out that shows that he's going to be a high-quality starter in this league and is going to be a Super Bowl-winning, consistent quarterback. And that's what I want. Could could love bust. 
Yes. Could Easton bust? Yes. Could Herbert bust? Be, yes. The, to Joe Burrow's going to bust because he's got nine-inch hands. Yes. Well, I mean, and, and uh, to that point, Jake Fromm's hands are smaller than his. So good luck going into you know, uh, Foxborough in January with Jake Fromm and his. You know, I actually, I actually got my whole family to do to uh, measure the hands during the combine because we were talking about hand sizes. And my yeah. hand sizes are actually, my hands are actually nine inches, and I'm six eight, so I've actually got really small hands for my height. But I'm just like, holy crap! I've got nine inch hands. I would not make it as an NFL quarterback, I guess. <laughs> that that the, we're we're turning in the cowherd show here. He made the biggest he made the biggest deal of uh of hand sizes I've ever seen. He's going to be on the crapping on Joe Burrow train now for the next. Four I was or even five like years. I was even like, what's the prototypical size for a quarterback hand size? Like I don't know what the like is nine inches small. Okay, I mean, I mean the nine inches didn't stop Joe Burrow from throwing sixty touchdowns in the best conference in, in the uh, NCAA last year. Well, the ball is a little bit bigger at the pros, so I don't know if that's what they consider. I mean, again, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the logic behind all of it. I mean, Luck had ten inch hands, so his hands were gigantic. But I mean, I, I don't think it really matters. I just, you know, I mean, the hands for Fromm are just. I mean, Burrow has, you know, so many attributes that you can point at as, oh, this guy has elite traits here, elite traits here, elite. I mean, that's a different, complete boat. I mean, when you have Fromm. Like his eight and a half inch hands are just a microcosm of what he is as a player. Just meh. I mean, it's just meh. Like underwhelming. Nothing, Very yeah, underwhelming. I mean, he had, and one thing people don't talk about, he played at Georgia. He had the he had the the luxury of one of the premier offensive lines in the country and premier skill set players, and didn't even sniff the Heisman. Like he didn't even sniff any any quarterback award. He, he didn't even sniff it. So if you're telling me. That a guy like that, despite all of the great attributes, yes, he got a couple of, of guys that ended up uh, winning winning multiple uh, you know multiple starting jobs elsewhere. He ran them out of town. That's great. That's fine. People say, well, he did that for a reason. That's all fine and dandy. But when he, I'm still trying to figure out how he did that though. You, he yeah. beat out Justin Fields and Jacob Eason, who and Fields next year will probably be a first round pick. But like, I don't know how you beat both them guys out, and you you only end up being a second round pick. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it just goes to show that I think that his season was underwhelming. I think that him as a player is underwhelming considering his, you know, the hype around him or, you know, his draft stock. I just I don't see him as any higher than a third round quarterback. And you know, like you said, the Colts got him in that range or maybe even at 44. I mean, I guess if you don't sign a Phillip Rivers. But if you do, then I, I just won't understand that move because you want a guy to develop with upside. If you leave Jake Fromm behind Phillip Rivers like you there is no potential for the future there. You're just essentially going to be passing off from, you know, one serviceable quarterback to the next, which is, you know, then you're going to be going from Brissett to Rivers to Fromm. It's like, at what point are you going to then have, you know, that elite top flight quarterback? I mean, and I just, I don't see it with Fromm. I would just rather gamble with one of the first two picks with one of those guys that has high end traits that has high end ability and and you know I'm sure we'll talk about the free agents here in a second and then just and then just kind of wrap him wrap them up behind one of these guys that we're interested in. Yeah, so actually let's let's go into those free agents and there's gonna be a lot of them to be honest. Um, who do you want to start with? Probably, I think we should just start with Tom Brady, the biggest one. And I saw Bill Barnwell on ESPN. He talked. He talked about if Brady came to the Colts and it was like a four-year, hundred twenty million dollar contract, and I have never seen such what? buffoonery in my life. 
I don't know if I ever told you that. I know I tweeted it before, and I was just like, this is the most anti-Chris Bauer thing in my life. And it just... I Honestly, me, if we're talking about Tom Brady, I think he stays with the England Patriots. I know a lot of people are disagreeing with me and think that he'll go somewhere else. I just don't know where he could go anywhere else in the NFL and get either a better or as good of a situation that he has uh, with the Patriots right now. Yeah, I think he's gone from there. I mean, I, I guess we don't agree with this. We haven't really talked about it, so it's cool to get your opinion on that. But I think he's gone. I think there's been building friction about with between him and Belichick. I think, you know, there's kind of a power struggle there. And, you know, at I, just some think, point he, I just think Brady's going to go around. He's going to field offers and everything like that. And he's just going to see, like, hey, I've got it pretty good here in New England. Maybe they'll pay him. and every, Maybe they'll pay him. I think he wants, like, what, $30 million a year for two years or three years. I mean, they could give him that. I, I think they're, like, I think they've got like $40 million in cap space last time I checked. So, so they don't have a whole lot of money. But I just think Bray's going to go around. He's going to see the situations that he could possibly get. And he's just going to be like, eh, I'll stay in New England. Easy easy division. Best coach in the NFL probably. Uh, pretty good roster. I'm going to stay here and let my career finish up with the Patriots for the next two years. And the question with Brady for me is what are his intentions? Like at this point, honestly, for me, I think he's just playing to – uh, lead all time in those in the touchdowns and yards categories. I'm gonna be honest. I think that he's just trying to get to number one attain those and number two keep them because Breeze is still playing. I, I just don't. I just I know he's an ultimate winner. I don't want to downplay that. But at this juncture, like I don't I don't think the Patriots are are really a legitimate Super Bowl contender anymore with with the Ravens huh. and the. Uh, it feels I, so good to say, doesn't it? I, I mean, hey, I, I don't want to jinx it. I, I might I might retract that before I say something I'm gonna regret. And get get end up blasted. If you know they're going to win twelve games with Jared Stidham next year. I'm going to end up in an audio loop of of the Patriots falling out of their dynasty. But you know, in all seriousness, I mean, you have the Chiefs, you have uh, you know, you have the Ravens, you have some other teams that just I think are on a different tier from them now. And honestly, I just don't think they would beat you know in the playoffs anytime soon. Um, you know, and especially with Brady continuing to decline, I don't think that they're Super Bowl ready. So with Brady's intentions playing. Is he automatically going to say this team has to be a Super Bowl contender at that juncture? Really, the Colts are the only team that fit that. That is a team that you could say maybe they could make a Super Bowl run because last year they were just in the a the AFC divisional game and they've improved their talent somewhat and they have a lot of cap space and they have a lot more picks coming up where Brady could say, OK, I'm going to take a two year deal in Indianapolis because this the Colts by and large. I'm sorry, I just do not see that happening. I, I don't. No, oh. I don't. I was going to lead it to my second point. That he, this would provide the best opportunity for him to win if that's his prerogative. But if he's going to say, "Okay, I'm just trying to chew out a couple more years," you know, enjoy enjoy my records, try to build on my records, play the game a little more, and and maybe with a cherry on top, prove I can win without Bill Belichick. I think that's in his mind too. Then I I like the Raiders fit. I like what teams or what I'm hearing about the Raiders because they have a solid O-line, so he's not going to get killed. They have a good running game. They have a quality tight end and quality receivers. And John Gruden is a, is, is a guy that's well-liked, you know, among quarterbacks. He's, he's you know, he ran Gr uh, Gruden's QB camp or whatever that was on ESPN. You know, he's known as a quarterback's guy. I think their quick strike fit system fits what Brady did. If you saw what Derek Carr did last year, it's so many underneath checkdowns and throws. Tom Brady would have a field day there. I like that fit for him because, again, it's not a it's not a bad situation. It's not a team that he's going to win the Super Bowl with, most likely, you know, barring some crazy, you know, 
entertaining a, a situation there. But it provides, number one, a situation where he can get away from Belichick in New England, which if the if the reports of friction are true, he could get out of that situation, go to somewhere warm, go to a new franchise. That would allow the, the Raiders to be able to get a flashy name on the side of their building for the opening of this franchise. Um, and it would allow him to finish out his last couple years in, in a team that would give him a quality situation. It wouldn't be a situation of the Colts, but I just, I'm with you. I don't see number one, Chris Ballard swallowing that kind of PR pill to bring Tom Brady to the Colts. And number two, Tom Brady, this is the same franchise that got him busted for deflating footballs. Like, I don't care. And Ballard that the said that the rivalry's back on, even though it hasn't been a rivalry since early 2000s. I'm with you. I don't see in a million years this marriage working, even if they tried. If they had a meeting, happens on Madden. it just doesn't seem right. It just and I think for Tom Brady, I just think that weird feeling. And if he's going to leave New England, you're certainly not going to leave it for Indianapolis. I just think Las Vegas is a good fit for him, you know, because it's warm. It's on a new team. He'll have a bunch of you know attention and energy and all this stuff. And it's a solid roster. It's a solid offense. And I just I really like that fit. But I, I don't I don't know. I don't think he does return to the Patriots. I just think that if he was going to, it would have happened. You know, I read earlier today that that him and Belichick met and it didn't go well. And again, we're taking all of this at face value. You have to take whatever you hear with a grain of salt. But if what we're hearing is is somewhat accurate, then he's just not happy with the situation in New England anymore. There's been too much of a power struggle with him and Belichick, and he's just ready to have a fresh chapter in his life. And and I think that if you look at good fits. Maybe the Chargers, if they show interest in him, or you know, again, the the Raiders, I think are are an ideal fit. But you know, he's not coming to the Colts. I would bet money on it. And I just think that the the links are ridiculous based on the history. I think that literally any other player that's on, they could say Alex Smith was linked to the Colts, and I think that was a more oh. realistic fit than Tom Brady, even though Alex Smith only has like one leg now. But I think that would be an even more fit. Than, than Tom Brady coming to the Colts. It just doesn't look right. You Could could anyone see Tom Brady Colts jerseys inside the pro shop? Because I couldn't. Some, I, I, some could. I, I couldn't. I just don't think oh. – I mean, I just couldn't see it. I'll, I'll ask you because this is kind of on topic but kind of off topic. When Peyton Manning became – when we cut Peyton Manning in 2011, where did you predict him going? The Titans. I actually, I actually thought he would go to Miami, and my reasoning was because it was a warm place and that kind of – that when you said that Brady going to L- Las, Ve- Las Vegas and him being in warm weather, it reminded me when I, I said Peyton was probably going to go to Miami. He had played Brady twice a year, kind of in an easier division, warm weather and everything like that. And, and then he went to Denver. It kind of caught me off guard. But um, looking back at Brady, you know, if he goes to the Raiders, that means their car is going to be up for trade value or whatever, whatever we want to say. That's the guy I – would not touch with a hundred foot pole. Really, anybody in this free agency outside of Derek, uh, not Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, I would not touch with a 10, 10 foot pole because I, I just I don't like really any of the quarterbacks that are going to be available in free agency this year. You might be able to talk me into Ryan Tannehill, uh, but really, I just don't see much value in in these free agency quarterbacks. Yeah, I think I, th- I think they're overhyped. I disagree with you a bit on Rivers because I think he provides a, a perfect mixture, and we'll get into him obviously at the end because he's the most likely. But Derek Carr, you just insert the same arguments against Jake Fromm with Derek Carr, like the same exact arguments. Anyone coming at me with Derek Carr completed seventy percent for four thousand yard completions, they can miss me with that. Number one, <laughs> he had 
half of, over half of his yards came from yards after catch. Number two, he threw down underneath within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. I was going to say his yards per attempt was probably like seven yards. Yeah, I mean, and most of that was because of the yak. I mean, like, he did nothing. If anyone actually watched his games last year, he was not impressive whatsoever. He was very, very, very average. And, and there's said, a reason why they were trying to move on from him. Exactly. You don't move. A, I mean, Carr fits the same, the same criteria as guys like Jacoby and Jake Fromm. You know, great guy, you know, religious guy. You know, I saw that video that you had po- that you had commented on about him doing the sermon. You know, his his teammates love him. You know, he was he was a high draft pick. I mean, he there, there's no reason to want to actively move him when you have a guy in house that's 29. When you have a team that's trying to move a 29 year old quarterback that is in house, that should be a huge, huge, huge red flag. The Lions have let Matthew Stafford rot in football hell for That's the last the guy I would actually years. be interested in trading for. Well, they have let him rot in football hell for the last 12 years because they refuse to let a franchise quarterback go. It doesn't matter if they're winning three games a year. They're not trading him because you know that at any juncture, if you get the right influx of talent, he's the key piece. Nothing goes without the quarterback. And if John Gruden and those guys are looking to move on from Derek Carr, there's a reason. And I don't need to just take their word for it. This guy hasn't had a high-quality season since 2016. He's had injuries and average seasons. There is nothing about this guy over the last four years. And a lot of people say that he, well, he plays in Oakland. Well, Matthew Stafford plays in Detroit, and he's still putting up 5,000-yard seasons. I don't care about where he plays. The great quarterbacks still are able to at least put up high numbers. You saw Andrew Luck carry terrible rosters to 11 wins year after year. If you're a difference-making quarterback, you'll at least be able to put up high-quality numbers every year or be able to at least win football games. And I think Matt Stafford kind of falls right behind that, you know, elite level of quarterbacks. I think he's, like, at the high-quality level to where he's not. I'm going to say, would you, would you trade? Let's, let's throw a hypothetical. The Colts trade 34. Would you, take, would you trade 34 for, uh, for, uh, for Matt Stafford? Oh, in a heartbeat. I mean, I think that's that's not even close to what the last. I form. think honestly, if we're if we're to go out instead of drafting, if we're to go out and get a trade or sign a guy that could put us into Super Bowl contention, I really think Matt Stafford is probably the only quarterback. Maybe Philip Rivers. You might be able to talk me into that, but I think really Matt Stafford was probably the only guy that could put us into Super Bowl contention. Oh yeah, I would love I would love that. I don't think it's in contention. I honestly don't think. The Lions honestly move on from Stafford. I don't think it would necessarily make sense because he's only 30 and he's never. I they mean, could very much easily do it though. They had the third overall pick and they could, they could take, you know, they could take a guy and then trade him. They could also pull a Colts and get a bevy of draft picks for, you know, that quarterback premium and still be picking in the top 10. For a team that's going to trade up and get Jordan Love. Is that what I'm hearing? Sure, why not? I mean, or the, or the team that wants to trade up and get uh, Justin Herbert or Tua or whoever, Jake Fromm, I guess, since he's a, a first-round lock, what, whoever they're going to trade up for. But, you know, I don't think Matthew Stafford realistically becomes available. I just think that, you know, with with guys like Matt Patricia just coming in, they're trying to get this culture turned around. I just don't think they're going to really ditch the boat on Matt Stafford yet. And if they do decide, I mean, listen, that team's a shoe-in for five or less wins almost every year. So, you know, if it doesn't work out a year or two down the line, Stafford's still only going to be 32. The team's still probably going to win three or four games, and Matthew Stafford's still going to throw for 5,000-plus yards. So, you know, you still have essentially the same trade value with only a couple more years of tread on the tires, and quarterbacks are lasting till 40 years old now. So 
you know, that could, that would still be a team that could realistically get him for four or five years. So I just don't think it makes much sense to move him at this juncture with what they're going through with this change in their building. But I agree with you. I think Matthew Stafford would by far be the best option. I think he would take much more than 34, you know, but if they did, if they offered you that, I mean, you take that and don't look back because you're getting a 29, 30 year old guy. Yes. He had an injury, but you know, prior to that, I mean, he had been remarkably healthy since early on in his career. He struggled with them. He has had a years and years stretch without having any injuries and, and played at a quality level. So, you know, I think that's an unrealistic hope and option just considering that they're, and they're, this is the thing again with Derek Carr, they're not shopping Matthew Stafford. There's a reason. The reason that the Raiders are shopping Derek Carr is because for the last four years of his career, since 2016, when he had that outstanding season before the Colts, unfortunately ended it by breaking his leg. He has not had that same kind of success. He has not enjoyed any sort of above average season, and he's had a couple more. He's had fairly good receivers and talent around him. It hasn't exactly been a cesspool. I'll put it that way. Is it? Is it an ideal place? No. But I mean, you look at last year. I mean, he had Darren Waller, he had Tyrell Williams, he had Hunter Renfro, who's one of the better young rookie receivers in the league. Josh Jacobs was in the running for Rookie of the Year as a as a running back. Um, you know, he had an outstanding season. Um. He has a backup in Jalen Richard, who's a lot like Naheem Hines, a really good scat back type of change of pace guy. And their offensive line was a top half offensive line. Is it the Colts level? No. But I mean, Derek Carr honestly couldn't have hoped for a much better position than he was in. And John Gruden, you know, for all intents and purposes, we have to see how he pans out in 2020 NFL. But, you know, historically, John Gruden's a good coach and and does well with quarterbacks. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, with Derek Carr, you look at his situation and then you look at the excuses that are made for him, it's almost parallel for the things with Jacoby Brissett. It's like, okay, well, Derek Carr's offensive line wasn't spectacular. What well, wasn't terrible either? And, I mean, a lot of what they were doing was throwing underneath, so I don't really see how that impacts what he was doing. He wouldn't hold the ball anyway, and when he did, he panicked. It wasn't like the offensive line was allowing, you know, free rushes at him. And if you look at their interior, they have an absolutely phenomenal interior. It's their tackles that are really kind and of – They didn't play. ask him to do a whole lot, to be honest. They didn't. And and when they did ask him to do stuff, he panicked. He would hold the ball. He would make bad decisions. He would he would throw it into coverages. I, I watched a lot of Derek Carr last year. I watched probably like four or five games of him. Too much of season. Derek Carr, you mean? Just like, yeah, far too much. Just out of boredom, you know, turning on their games, you know, in passing and saw him. And I just never once thought, you know what, when, when the season ended, I never once thought, you know what, this would be a good fit if if he became available. I just... If you're going to get it now, if they want to get him as strictly a bridge guy, I guess I could be on board with it. If they want to draft a love, draft an Eason, draft a Herbert, whatever, and let one of those guys sit behind him for a year or two, fine. But the problem with a guy like Carr is he's 29 and you're going to be investing. You're going to be sending a high pick to Oakland. And then he's going to probably expect a contract extension in return because his contract's expiring. He, you know, that, that situation's a little murky. So, you know, there is upside that you're not locked into him for years, but you're also sending a high round pick in return for him, which you wouldn't do with a guy like Rivers. So you wouldn't be just acquiring him as a stopgap because you're investing now high draft picks. This is a guy that if you trade for, you're essentially conceding. We think he can be the guy. That's essentially what this trade would mean. Uh, you know, you don't trade 34, 44, whatever the Raiders would want in exchange for him for him to start for two years. Like that just wouldn't make any sense. So if they made that trade, then again, it wouldn't make any sense because he's not the franchise guy. He's not the game changing guy. 
and then you're just spinning your tires with another Jacoby Brissett thing. This is like the grass is greener. For Colts fans that are on board with Derek Carr, this is just a grass is greener situation. You don't see his flaws on a game-in and game-out basis like Jacoby Brissett. You don't see all the all the problems in his game, but he has plenty of them. He is just not a noticeable enough upgrade for me to consider making a trade for him. It just doesn't make sense for me. Just go ahead and draft Jake Fromm then and get it over with. So let's move on. Teddy Bridgewater is another guy I was kind of interested in. I mean, he's 28. I think one year when he broke when he broke his leg or whatever, he was 10-6 with the Vikings, a fairly good roster. Bridgewater might be a guy you might be able to talk me into. You might not have to pay a whole lot into me. Into, you might not have to pay a lot for him. But I just think it would be very interesting because, you know, we, we know Drew Brees is coming back. Could the Saints possibly try to re-sign Bridgewater and say, hey, Bridgewater, in two years, this is your offense? with Sean Payton. I think yeah, that's kind of the one question I have with Teddy Bridgewater. But with Bridgewater, you don't really know what you're kind of getting as a starting quarterback. He did, did fine with them for the five games or six games when Breeze was out last year. But I just don't know if Bridgewater pushes the needle for this Colts team in 2020. Yeah, that's the problem with, with Bridgewater, right? I mean, he's a guy that... And he's you know, good. I think he's good. I just don't know if he pushes the needle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're you're just getting a guy that I'm not confident will be that franchise-changing, altering player. And on top of that, I think I don't agree with you in the sense that you're not going to have to pay for Bridgewater because I think there may be teams that compete for his services. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, could command 20. He's looking for 20 million a year, you know, and, and honestly, I ain't given that. Well, you wouldn't and I wouldn't. But in today's NFL landscape, some team is going to see that 5-0 and record. Some team is going to watch how he played in New Orleans. And I honestly think some team's going to spring for 16, 17 million a year. I don't think 20 million a year, but I wouldn't pay 15 million a year for that guy. I would just rather just, I have no problem with Bridgewater, you know, I mean, but you know, the problem is, you know, is that a guy that you want to acquire and assign to a long-term extension? Because that's another thing you'll have to do. He's not going to come here. If you say, well, we'll give you a two year deal. Some teams probably going to offer him a three, four year deal based off of his age his recent performances since he came back from his injury. He's proven himself a couple times since he came back that he's a quality starter. I don't have any qualms about that. but And, and because of that, a team is going to probably offer him a three- or four-year deal. I, I just would expect it. And if you're going to have to do all that, I just don't see why you would do that instead of just drafting your own guy, develop your own guy, and, and put a Band-Aid on like Rivers or even – you know, just stick with Jacoby Brissett at plan plan C if nothing else works out. But but Teddy Bridgewater, I think, is an interesting one. He just because I think he would provide, you know, you saw some of that short to intermediate stuff in New Orleans that would really fit well with what Reich and them do. But I just like you said, there's just there's just too much doubt for me. You know, is he gonna stay healthy long term? You know, is he really a franchise changing player? Are you willing to pay the fifteen to twenty million dollars a year for him over three or four years? That's just going to be a lot of question marks surrounding a guy when, you know, you have pick number 13 and two or three, you know, quality quarterbacks that could be on the board at that point. So there's two other guys we kind of want to talk about there. Of course, Phil Rivers will talk about last, but uh, the Jaguars, of course, like we talked about um, recently, that, you know, they're messed up in contracts. They're trying to sign Yannick and Dockway for whatever reason, because I guess they want him back. Um, but they're trying – I'm going to guess they're trying to get off of Nick Foles' contract. And a couple of Colts fans have talked about possibly, hey, let's let's trade for Foles. I know you talked about it. 
Let's trade for Foles. Maybe we'll get a pit, a high pick, and and then just eat the contract for one year. I think it's what fifteen million dollar cap it, and then you know, you know, still draft our guy or whatnot. I am unless we get. Well, I think that, what they have picked twenty in the first round. I know they have six or something like that, but they all. I think they have another pick in the first round. If we were to able to get that one first round pick, that late first round pick, and trade for Foles and only give up, let's say a fourth round pick or something like that. I would definitely do that deal, but I'm just not for trading a guy, especially in the NFL, trading for a guy and eating his contract just for an extra draft pick. Yeah. I mean, and, and what sparks this interest for me is the Brock Osweiler deal that happened a couple years ago that the Texans were looking to get off that atrocious contract they signed him to. And uh, I just still, I, it still makes me laugh the contract they signed him to, but uh, they signed him to that contract. It was a monster failure. He was completely eating up their cap, putting them in a bad situation, and they ship him to Cleveland and get a second-round pick. And, you know, maybe with the Jaguars being completely inept and desperate, maybe, like you said, you get that, you know, first-round pick. At worst, you know, say it's a comparison, you get the second-round pick. Now, what makes Foles interesting is, to me, I think that Foles is just an acquire and cut. I think you're just going to sign him, cut him, eat his cap. Like, the, the value here only comes from the pick. Now, Maybe Frank Reich sees something there. I mean, maybe he does. And I, I would kind of put the ball in Frank Reich's court here because what I saw in Jacksonville, I didn't like. But also, too, you know, what do they have there? I mean, they have Fournette. You know, they have whatever. I mean, they're just they're just bleh on offense. They just don't really have anything. Their coaching staff, nobody outstanding. So could it have been just Foles was in a situation where, you know, it was just a bad offense and maybe he could be he solid. He also got hurt in week one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he got hurt. You know, he's been to other situations where he hasn't succeeded. He really hasn't succeeded anywhere outside of the Eagles. Like, that's just that's just the fact of the matter. He almost got ran out of the league and was actually brought out of retirement by Matt Nagy, um, you know, come back up to cheat, uh, be a backup in Kansas City. So I don't think that that's the case. But, you know, if Frank Reich looks at this situation and says, hey, Chris, you know, I really like Nick. I think Nick is a quality quarterback. I think we could come in here. He can put up a solid season for us. You would get a second round pick then, you know, even that would still open the door. Then that would open the door to trading Jacoby. I'm sure you could get a fourth or fifth for Jacoby because he's at worst a really quality backup, Um, you know, and and then you would essentially get two uh, second and a fourth, you know, to acquire Nick Foles, and maybe he becomes your spot starter. Now, again, for me personally, I don't foresee that. I don't think Nick Foles is an answer in any season as a starter. I would personally, if they do this, acquire the second-round pick, eat his cap, cut him immediately. But again, if Frank Reich sees some value here, and again, this would just be, you know, using it, trusting his judgment, maybe you are able to acquire that second round pick and Nick Foles coming in and being a potential spot starter for a year or two. Because again, that if you I sign don't even Rivers, know if a second round pick is really still worth it. I mean, you know, again, you can still acquire the first, you could potentially acquire a first round pick. But, you know, to me, the Colts, again, don't aren't investing heavily in, in too many players over the next two or three years. You have, you know, Quint Nelson, who you're going to be able to exercise the fifth-year option. Malik Hooker's not the dunk, you know, slant. Like, if you had said after his rookie season, you're saying, oh, this guy's going to be a top-five paid safety. Now it's kind of like, is this guy even going to have a job after next year if he doesn't show, you know, at least some kind of growth in his game? He's still on the fringe of whether or not he's going to get an extension. I just think the Colts are in a good position to eat this money for a second round pick, I just don't think that they're going to need to, especially if you get that second round pick to acquire another marquee player in this draft. I just don't, I just think they're very young. I don't think, like you said earlier, that they don't have the type of pillar players 
that they're that are going to demand just a a jack ton of money. And if they're able to eat this contract for the next two or three years, I think that it would play out for them. I I think that they're in a good position. I get what you're saying that it's a gamble in the sense that you know now you eat this cap, so you're not necessarily going to be able to go out and get marquee free agents. It will strap you. But if the Colts crunch the numbers, and again, this is what Chris Ballard has shown to be so good at. If the Colts crunch the numbers and say, okay, well, we have the cap to amply eat this and not damage us in terms of what we're able to recoup long-term in terms of re-signing our own guys, and then you're able to get a second-round pick after it, I, I just I just think it's a good fit. I mean, I, I would understand and agree with your point also. I would have no qualms for anybody saying, listen, I just don't want to tie to that for three years. I have no issue with it because – Again, it does strap you for what you can do with the cap. But to me, again, this just doesn't seem like a team, even if Ballard says they're willing to spend, it, it also has to be a two-way street. I still think that the player's still going to have to fall within a certain price range, and they're going to want to have to come here. So I still don't see the Colts just being this extravagant spending team. So, you know, you have a chance to utilize that cap into something good and get a second-round pick, like you said, maybe even a first-round pick. If you can do that, that's a home run. I mean, that's that's huge. And that would change it. That would change. That would be a instant yes for me. And then you draft a quarterback, and you're not paying that quarterback the quarterback's money that you're eating. So that's my thought process of why I think this is a trade they could consider. But I would only consider it for the pick. I do not think Foles is is honestly a realistic stopgap option. Well, one that is probably a real stopgap option is Phil Rivers, and of course the links are there. Frank Reich, uh, Nick Sirianni were the coaches that with uh, Phil Rivers, I've got to go look at the stats and the play when, when they were together in, in, uh, in San Diego. But I just, I'm not, I, I'm not into Phil Rivers and I'm not into signing a free agency quarterback. Cause like we've said, a lot of these guys will be stopgap guys. And at a, a position so key, you've got to find the answer. And Kevin Bonus emphasizes, it seems like on every one of his podcasts since his off season started, but you've got to find a long-term answer. And just because, you know, you sign Rivers and you might be competing for the playoffs for the next two years, that doesn't mean, you know, you're going to be a Super Bowl contender and it doesn't mean you've got the answer. Uh, and I just, I, I'm really hoping this is a smokescreen. I know it seems it seems like every day that it's going to more and more likely happen, it seems like. But I'm just really hoping this is a smokescreen to have a team end up overpaying for Phillip Rivers or something like that and the Colts don't end up taking them. Well, I don't would, think he's, I don't think Rivers is that much of an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. So the thing with Rivers, and to kind of put your mind at ease, just my thoughts on the media, just saying it's a slam dunk. If we listen to the media, Le'Veon Bell would be in a Colts uniform right now, because this time last year that was the guy. You know, this guy's a shoe in. He's a sure fit. He's a perfect fit. The Colts need him. He he fills every need. I mean, that's all we heard was Le'Veon Bell was going to be a member of the Colts, and we're all sitting back here saying. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then guess what? It didn't happen. So that may be a similar situation with Phillip Rivers just fitting so many boxes for the Colts. Like they provide a quality roster with quality coaching that he has a connection with. They may like him. There's just so many, there's just so many boxes that he checks. But it's also, too, at the same juncture, maybe the Colts don't believe he is a, a capable upgrade. And, you know, before I get to the positives on uh, Rivers, there's a negative of, what are you going to do with Jacoby after him? He makes your quarterback situation sticky. Anything outside of drafting a quarterback makes the situation sticky because are you going to trade Brissett? Are you going to keep Brissett? Are you, I mean, what are you going to do then? I mean, I would ima- imagine that he becomes instant trade bait. 
But at that juncture, is that what you're going to do? Are you wanting and willing to do that? And is he worth the investment of, you know, two years, 60 million, which, you know, judging by the numbers, that may be the number. I mean, 30 million a year is is crazy. And, you know, for a guy like Rivers, who's as accomplished as he is, that may be the price tag. And that's another negative to it. But, you know, those two things I think are the biggest negatives is it doesn't provide the natural type of movement that just keeping Jacoby in-house, giving him next year. Um, you know, we're guys that haven't been high on Jacoby, but, you know, I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like burn Colts jerseys if the guy was our starter next year, as long as there's a long term plan. And he could I still like I hate this. I mean. He could still very much improve and be better next year, and we could all eat our crow. And I'll I'll be the first, and I'll be the first guy, and I'll be the happiest guy to eat crow if Jacoby goes out there and looks a lot better next year and throws thirty five touchdowns and six interceptions and lead us, you know, deep into the playoffs. And that that's another thing with Rivers is if you sign Rivers, there is no hope for Jacoby Brissett ever improving. Like he's done, it's over. the 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 experiment is over. You know, if what they've said is true in-house and they still think he's a good quarterback you know as we're recording this today Darius Leonard went on uh, NFL Network earlier and said that he thinks Jacoby Brissett's a really good quarterback that he likes them so obviously he has backing in the locker room and um, you know hopefully with the front office and coaches although some of their comments kind of make me question that now but you know it the, the problem with Rivers is he's he's not there is no hope for him developing in anything he is purely a stopgap if you sign Rivers then it's almost a guarantee they are going to have to either invest high this year or next year. The one of the the biggest positive for Rivers to me is if you sign him to two years, this now gives you two years to be able to assess this quarterback situation. You can now go into this draft not thinking we need a quarterback. We have to have a quarterback because with Jacoby, you kind of do because his contract is off after this year. And like, you're not going to keep signing the guy to one year extensions. Like he's going to get long-term money somewhere else. And he probably take a longer smaller deal somewhere else than a one-year deal somewhere he knows he's not the guy you know he knows he's just kind of they're just kind of buying time with rivers you at least on a two-year deal get this draft and next draft to be able to get a guy and groom him another positive with rivers is i think he provides more of a good example for a young quarterback coming in i think he'd be more of a respected voice for a young quarterback if we drafted a love or whoever if you have jacoby Brissett telling you what to do or Philip Rivers, I think Philip Rivers carries more weight. As much as Jacoby's a likable guy, you know, what has he done for you to tell me what to do? You know, it's, it's a similar situation. Like if you're a worker and you have a manager come in that's never done your job or had success at your job, you're not really going to listen to that guy. And I think it's a similar situation with Jacoby. He may be likable and provide some things, but I think Rivers provides much more of a mentor type of situation. Also, there's a potential for upgrade. I mean, Rivers was you know, much more aggressive, you know, he's more of a playmaker and, you know, he just provides more of a dynamic piece. Now, obviously with that, I think he provides much more of a pension for turnovers. Um, you know, he's less mobile than Jacoby is at least Jacoby can break sacks. I mean, Phillip rivers is just necessarily a, a statue waiting to be blown over by the wind back there. But, you know, he, you lose those components to it, the ball security and, and what mobility Jacoby has. Phillip rivers is three times worse. So there are aspects to it, but you know, also too, you bring more of a dynamic play. So the question is, was the the failures in uh, in Los Angeles last year because of you know a poor offensive line and Hunter Henry gets hurt and you know maybe that offense wasn't exactly the type of dynamic offense they had hoped, or is this guy just washed? And I think that's the biggest question 
that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have to answer before they legitimately consider this guy, because if he is washed, then there's no point in signing him. You already have a, a semi-solid option in Jacoby Brissett that, like you said, which is a very good point, maybe he does develop into a quality starter next year. And if you draft, because if you draft a Jordan Love at 13 or whatever, I still think Jacoby Brissett's going to be out the door because at that juncture, what are you going to do with him? Is it going to be like a Josh Rosen well, there's, situation? There's certain days where they can cut him and they'll save like $13 million or $15 million um, in their cap room. So that's a possibility too. Well, and what my point was, what you get with Jacoby, if he comes out next year and really does well, is it boosts his trade value. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a guy that, you know, maybe you're getting a fourth round pick for today. If next year, if he does well, you're getting a second round pick for him. Um, you know, if he goes out, like you said, 25 and six, has a good season, you may pique a team's interest, you know, because he's still young, 28 years old, 28 years old. He's still he's in that same type of age bracket as like Carr and some of those other guys. So he still has years to develop and a lot less tread on his tires because he's only been a starter for a year, um, you know, two years essentially. But, you know, he he has very little tread on his tires. You know, so I think that's another thing that they have to consider is at least Jacoby, if he comes out and plays well, will provide more trade value next season. I know that's kind of a more out there thought, but, you know, if you draft a guy this year, I think Jacoby's time is is written up anyway. I don't think you can draft a guy and then say, well, you know, Jacoby's playing really well, so we're going to end up trading this guy that we just picked 13, like with the like with what just happened with Josh uh, with Josh Rosen. You know, they draft Kyler Murray and they like him better, so they ship Josh Rosen. I just think it would be a murky situation if you kept Jacoby and then drafted a guy without the intention of for sure moving on from Bissett. So if you draft a guy, you better be sure that Jacoby's just not going to pan out for you long term. But if he comes in and plays well next year, you boost a trade value and. You know, there were talks that Seattle wanted to, you know, offered a second for him. I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't know why they would do that. But there were hmm. rumors that they had offered a second round pick. If that's true, you have a guy that now has, you know, high standing in the league that now goes into next year, has a good season, and then you get a high draft pick out of him. You're not getting that out of Phillip Rivers at all. Like, there's again, there's no upside to signing Rivers other than potentially short term improvement and maybe a better mentor for a quarterback. And so one thing, one last thing I want to emphasize before we probably probably wrap up the show. I think we've talked about really anything, everything we want to talk about, especially when drafting a quarterback. And I've been I've been telling you this like probably since December. It's not about getting the next Mahomes. It's not about getting the next Lamar. It's a, or the next Watson. It's about getting the next guy. And you know teams aren't. You know, back in the day, it was all about getting the next Manning or getting the next Brady. Well, those guys don't walk through the door maybe once a generation or so. You know, Mahomes is not like Manning or Brady. So I think for the Colts, don't press the knee. Don't, if, if you like Jordan Love because he's like Patrick Mahomes or you think you can mold him to Patrick Mahomes, then, you know, probably don't need to get him. If you like him and you think he's going to be the next elite quarterback, then you need to go get him. And I think one thing we really kind of talked about a little bit, but not a whole lot, but if the Colts are sold on a guy, whether that's Justin Herbert or Jordan Love, and they think they need to go trade up and go get him, I don't care what it costs. You go get up. You go trade up and get him, really. Because if you're sold on him, then you need to go get him. You, there's no sitting back and waiting and possibly hoping the, the draft board falls that way. You've got to go up there and get him. And I just think the Colts – and I'm going to really emphasize this to fans. It's not about going out and getting the next Patrick Mahomes or the next Lamar Jackson. It's about getting 
the next next guy, if you know what I mean, you know, because, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the next great quarterback in the league. It's about getting the next great quarterback in the NFL for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, you put it perfectly since this process started. It's about finding the next quarterback that moves our needle. We don't worry about what other teams are doing. We don't worry about Mahomes' profile. We don't worry about Lamar Jackson's profile. We worry about finding our guy that moves the needle for our system. And that's what matters. What what guy moves the needle for our team that allows us to be competitive with Mahomes, that allows us to be competitive with 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 Jackson and all those other guys that are... And we're going to be really pressured because, like we've said, it's Mahomes, Watson, Lamar. They're probably the best quarterbacks in the AFC. And yep. what do they all have in common? They're all under 25, 26 years old. So the Colts yep. are going to be really pressured to make sure that they get the next young elite quarterback to compete with these guys. I mean, you have to because you can't realistically compete for Super Bowls no matter what era it's been in history without them. You know, and that's what drives me nuts with fans saying, well, Manning's not walking through that door. I don't care. You know, I, I know that. I, you think I don't know that if we draft Jordan Love, we're not getting Peyton Manning? Duh. I mean, if we draft Jacob Easton, we're not getting the next Andrew Luck? Obviously not. But there's tiers. There's levels. J- Jacob Easton or Jordan Love may be a needle-moving quarterback despite the fact they're not Peyton Manning. Despite the fact they're not Andrew Luck, but Hell, Andrew Brissett, Luck wasn't even Peyton Manning. Exactly. I mean, you don't those guys, and and it's just like Peyton Manning wasn't Andrew Luck. Like those guys provided such different dynamics that you know neither one was either. And it's like you know you could you could argue love, Luck in certain areas and Manning in other areas. Obviously, Manning had a much more storied and accomplished career. But if you look at Luck, I mean, he was a unique talent in his own right. Every player is different, and every player is going to bring a different tier of impact. The bottom line is you have to get a quarterback that's going to bring a higher tier of impact than the one we're getting now. Even if that's just, you know, moving from a, what, I mean, if you say Jacoby Brissett's a 20th best quarterback, I mean, Kevin Bowen might pull his hair out hearing you say that, but you know, if you say, if you say Brissett's a top 20 quarterback, well, if Jordan Love turns out to be the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the league, guess what? You just made a noticeable impact and that's the key. You're and not honestly, and honestly, if you think about it, you know, it doesn't really matter how good your roster is all around. I think you need to at least have a top five, maybe a top ten quarterback you can sneak by. But in today's age, you need at least a top five quarterback if you really want to contend for a Super Bowl. Look at the Patriots rosters. They've always had Brady. He's always been a top five quarterback. Mahomes was the best quarterback in the NFL this year. I mean, you look at Manning. He was forever one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Russell Wilson, you have to have a top five quarterback in the NFL if you truly want to compete for a Super Bowl every year. Yeah, and that's the difference. I think, you know, I say top 10 because I have I have such high regard for Chris Ballard and how he does his and job. And you can win with a top 10 quarterback. And I think if you if your roster is a little bit better than, you know, a top five quarterback's roster, then, yeah, I think you can you can win a Super Bowl or two with a top 10 quarterback. And that that's what I think. I just think that with, you know, the ownership, the general manager – the, the the coaching staff we have right now, I think the pieces they're constructing on this offense, I think that you can get by with a top 10 quarterback and realistically compete for Super Bowls. But you're not competing for Super Bowls with what you have now, bar none. I mean, there's no there's no hope for that. Like, people talk about the receivers. Well, if the receivers stay healthy and Jacoby doesn't get injured, we finish, what, 10 and 6? Maybe? Like, what do you think? Maybe 10, 9? At, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know even, about 10 or 6. I don't, I don't want know to, about that. I'm just trying to be the ultimate optimist for, for people that think Jacoby Brissett could potentially be the answer because he had a knee injury and the, the receivers 
at got hurt. So, you know, just to appease them, you know, say you get 10 wins, then what? Like, you know, he, you weren't beating the Chiefs. You weren't beating the Ravens. You probably weren't even beating the Patriots. Like, if we snuck – you weren't you, – I don't even know if we'd beat the Texans. And, you know, they're, they're a team that we've historically played well against. Um, you know, even with a lesser roster, we, be, I mean, we beat them with Jacoby the first time, but that's before, you know, I think, you know, his season really started to turn for the worse. And honestly, I think that game was an anomaly. That was just, you know, one of his truly outstanding games, but him in a, in his average vacuum and what he is week in and week out as a quarterback, I don't think we're even beating them. So say you get to 10 wins and get to the playoff this year, then what? I mean, it's like, that's what you're going to be every year with him. You're going to be fighting for nine or 10 wins potentially getting in the playoffs like it's the Joe Flacco situation all over again like people love to talk about oh well Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl yeah Joe Flacco was also constantly like a 500 quarterback outside of that run yeah you he know, legit went blazing hot during that tr- during that um during that stretch it was it, it, again it was an anomaly just like I just talked about Jacoby Brissett's game against Houston that game against the that stretch in the playoffs was an anomaly for Joe Flacco he never and, played and really game. is it is it do you want, you know, let's say it's Jacoby in this instance. Do you want Jacoby, oh, he hits a, oh, he got this hot streak going right in the middle of the playoffs and led us to one Super Bowl. Or do you want a Patrick Mahomes type quarterback where it's, hey, every year it's Super Bowl or bust. And I think that's something that Colts fans need to start realizing. And what's funny is, you know, listen, I get that the goal is to win multiple Super Bowls, but this is the NFL, you know, and, and people, the argument of, well, we had Manning for oh, 12 years and only won one Super Bowl. I don't care. Like We also made it to a bunch of AFC title games, so it's not like we weren't. It was a flash pan thing. And also, too, the, the thing that kept us from probably going to three or four was the best dynasty in sports history, but people don't want to bring that up. They just want to fill this narrative of, oh, well, Peyton Manning only won one Super Bowl. But you know what, Sam? The thing for me is I don't care. Like, Do I wish we would have won more? Of course. Do I think we had the talent win more? Yes. But I knew every year going into the season, that the Colts, you were going to have to scratch, claw, and fight your way through Lucas Oil Stadium if you wanted to get to that Super Bowl, or, or at the time it was the RCA Dome. You were going to have to fight, scratch, and claw through us. The AFC was going through us and through New England. And I knew that every year. And that was such a great feeling. It was unfortunate that it didn't end in more, but that's what I want. Every year was so fun. Every year was so electric. My my fandom was just has never been higher for anything in my life in terms of sports. I absolutely love those teams. And that was all led by Peyton Manning. Like if, if we draft Jordan Love and he produces one Super Bowl and has the same type of success that Manning had, I'll sign up for that 10 times out of 10, man. I'm sorry. Some people may say that that's underachieving. But the fact that you know that each and every year your team is going to be a dynamic threat and you are going to be one of the teams that will have to be reckoned with and put through to for that team to go to the Super Bowl. That's the field. That's all you can hope for. Like everything in this league in the playoffs is a one game one off. You don't know if you're going to win. Like the year the Colts won the Super Bowl, that was one of their worst teams in that entire stretch. Like they got lucky with the return of Bob Sanders. They got you know, lucky with, with the 21 point comeback, you know, the Brady interception. I mean, you could say that that run was lucky. They ran into uh, Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. I mean, you could Hmm. say that that run was lucky. You could easily say that. And, and so the thing is nothing's a shoe in, but if you can get a quarterback that each and every year can provide you the opportunity for 12, 13 wins can provide you the opportunity to make deep playoff runs, to keep your excitement and hope going 
that your team is going to be a Super Bowl contender. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a guy that teams that you say this guy's guaranteed going to win four Super Bowls because you don't know. No, no quarterbacks guaranteed that. Drew Brees never won four Super Bowls. Peyton Manning never won four Super Bowls. Dan Marino never won four Super Bowls. So that logic to me is just silly. It's just the logic is each and every year you want a guy that you know is going to make your team an elite team that's going to have to be dealt with. And that's all I'm looking for. And one last thing I want to talk about was we, Colts fans know it probably best. And I'll look at it through the AFC South scope. Look at it with Manning and look at it with Andrew Luck when, when we had them both. I would arguably say that probably, at least in the Andrew Luck era, that the AFC South as a whole probably had better rosters than the Colts did when Andrew Luck was the quarterback. But what did the Colts have? They had a better quarterback, and that was the difference, and that's the reason why Andrew Luck won. What lost, like, what, maybe four games in the, in the division in his six years playing quarterback here? And I think yep. that's just, this is the prime example of showing, hey, all you need is the better quarterback, and everything else will figure itself out because you've got the better quarterback at the most important position. And you look at it with Manning, the pure dominance we had in the AFC South just because – we had a Hall of Fame quarterback, and everyone else didn't didn't really have an above-average quarterback. And you look at look at it with the Patriots. Yeah, they have a, a great coach. They have a pretty good roster, but they have by far had the best quarterback in the comp, in the division for the last 15 or so years. And I think that if Colts fans realize that, then they would really see that hey, the Colts really do need an elite quarterback if they want to win a Super Bowl or multiple Super Bowls. And you, you look at – and that, that's a great point. I mean, every team that Andrew Luck beat throughout the season – I mean, we talked about that. How many times has he beaten better teams just because he was the better player? That's the impact the quarterback position has in this league. He beat Peyton Manning the year – I think it was the year after they won the Super Bowl. He beat Peyton Manning in Denver. Yep. I mean, with, that, that's – With, with Goldman, Akeem – what was his name? Akeem Nix, Andre Johnson, Trent Richardson was a healthy and active – like, Andrew Luck won a playoff game with, like, Vaughn Miller, Chris Harris. I think Akeem Tlaib was still there. Like, he legit beat a Super Bowl team on the road in the playoffs with people that didn't last in the league no longer than two or three years. Yeah, throwing Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener as the starting tight ends. I mean, you the list can go on and on. And, I mean, I think that Colts fans just need to use that as kind of like their guide as to why this upgrade is so important. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, surround Jacoby with more, surround Jacoby with more. That's fine. But even if you have a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense, Patrick Mahomes is still going to come in and kick our ass nine times out of 10 because he's better than Jacoby Brissett and by a country mile. Like it doesn't bet. It, it doesn't matter if you have the better team, if your quarterback isn't at least, at least in the same field, as some of these other guys and Jacoby, and it, literally, just, it literally showed, it literally showed in the Super Bowl. It literally got Super shown. Bowl. It showed in the Super Bowl. If you needed any sort of game to show you on the biggest stage of them all, this, that this faction of fans that is saying, just stick with Jacoby and build around him. That's your result. That's you your can honestly say Garoppolo. I think Garoppolo is a little bit better because his fourth quarter play in last year was a lot better than Jacoby. But I would honestly say that, Garoppolo and Jacoby are right around that 15 to 20 range and talking about quarterbacks where, you know, Mahomes is arguably the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but it's just, it's just that that game is just a microcosm for what the quarterback situation does. And fans just need to remember that when they just say, Oh, well, we'll just stick with Jacoby. He's fine. He's fine. Is he fine? 
probably. I mean, I, I don't, he's not going to lose you games. He's not going to hurt your team. He may even at times help your team, but he's not going to consistently beat elite teams. And, and it just boils down to what is your goal as a fan? And my goal as a fan is to have a team that year in and year out is fighting for a number one seed and fighting for the Super Bowl. I'm not asking for a guaranteed three or four Super Bowls. I'm not asking for the next Manning. I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for a quarterback that puts us in position with the roster that we're surrounding him with to put us in those positions to fight for that. And Jacoby just does not have that ceiling. And that's ultimately what we need to look for. Does that happen this offseason? Maybe, maybe not. Like you said, don't rush. Don't push. Don't just draft Jordan Love because you think he's the next Mahomes. And Chris Ballard won't do that. I mean, he said that. I mean, he flat out said we're not going to push this position and 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 force a, an evaluation on a guy just because fans are clamoring for a new quarterback. We're not going to do that. And I completely trust that they won't do that. You know, but, you know, at one way or another, whether it's this year or next year, oh, I mean, preferably within the next two years before, you know, all these young players on our roster start to age and, and the contracts start to pile See, up. See, I think honestly, a little bit off tra- track, but, I mean, if Bauer doesn't, you know, I don't think if he has a long-term answer at quarterback in the next year or two, I think he should be on the hot seat. That's just me thinking ahead. Yeah, I mean, he'll have to start answering for it. I mean, th- he gets a pass this season because obviously there was nothing he could do. You may even could say he gets a pass in 2020 if the quarterback chips don't fall. But, I mean, you're at 13, and the, the thing I get with the detractors that say that there's no excuse for not taking a quarterback is – you're at 13. If there's a guy that you are just over the moon with available at seven, like I you think said, J- unless, if, unless if Chase Young falls somehow, I think Javon Kinlaw is really the only reasonable prospect that I would possibly take over a quarterback. That's probably yeah, the only I mean, prospect. And even then, like, and what's crazy is Chris Ballard's philosophy is going to be put to the test here because if they think let's just say hypothetically, if they think Jordan Love is going to be a quality quarterback, say, you know, their their ceiling for him is around 8 to 12. That's their hope. Like, say that's what they think Jordan Love will be. But they think Kinlaw is going to be an all-pro. Who are they going to take? Like, that's going to be the, the issue because if Jordan Love is a top-eight quarterback, I don't think there's really much doubt that that's the much more valuable position and that's the position you take. However, you know, you're, you're essentially passing up a – you know, very high likelihood that this guy makes multiple Pro Bowls and all pros, you know, you're passing up on a guy that's really a dynamic talent. So it's going to be interesting to me to see how Chris Ballard really attacks this situation because you may have to forego a really, really special type of player. Like you said, if someone falls, you know, if quarterbacks do start going off the board like crazy, you know, and Jordan Love is still there at 13 for whatever reason, you know, but a Javon Kinlaw or a Brown fell or, you know, somebody fell like that, you know, are you going to be able to pass up one of those guys to get a guy that you think, although, again, may not be an elite, elite quarterback, will still be a high enough quality quarterback to push you over the top to be fighting for those number one season home field advantages in the playoffs. It's just going to be a really interesting thing to see how he attacks this offseason, how his philosophy holds up with Andrew Luck not in his back pocket because it changes everything. And I'm just really... You know, I mean, I'm kind of honestly, I'm kind of getting burnt out on it because there's just, you know, we're talking about James Morgan, you know, as a, as a, mm. a guy that we could draft as, you know, a realistic quarterback. I, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, well, you know, we're at the end of our rope with this. But, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this next month. I mean, we're only two weeks away from free agency, man. And, you know, the draft is what, 50 days away. I mean, we're 
we're within. I mean, this, yeah, the draft honestly feels good. like it's about five hundred days away, though. I mean, we've been talking about it since uh, August, really. I mean, when Luck retired, that's all it's been is constantly talking about and evaluating quarterbacks, and you know, you know, really uh, being being uh, you know questioning what our next move's going to be, and you know, it's just kind of at the end of its rope with it, but. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, it doesn't seem real that the next two months are going to shape this franchise for the next four or five years. And if we draft a guy the next 10, 15 years, I mean, that's why I keep saying it's probably it's probably the most important offseason and probably in Apple's Colts history. Yeah, it's really shaping the franchise. Probably, I would say, for the next 10 years, whether we draft a quarterback or not. Yeah, it does. And and what Chris Ballard does, you know, if he if he decides to trade for a Derek Carr and decides he's the guy or, you know, if he decides to sign a Teddy Bridgewater and decides he's a guy or decides to sign, uh, you know, draft a guy and says he's the guy, you know, it's 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 going to be one of the most critical two months in this in this franchise's history. He's either, either going to be put put in the guillotine or they're going to build him a statue out front of Luke Soul Stadium for what he's going to do over these next two months. It's crazy because for the first time in my fandom, like I have no idea who our quarterback's going to be. For the first time in my fandom, I've been actively like studying these quarterbacks, watching these quarterbacks, you know, kind of ranking quarterbacks. Like it just still doesn't feel real. It's kind of exciting though at the same time to have this feeling. I mean, I'll eat crow if we, you know, draft a stink quarterback and end up being in purgatory for the next five years. But, you know, for right now, the process was kind of fun. It's just kind of crazy that. You know, we're kind of at that. All right, you're at that that critical crossroads. I mean, it's here. It's now. You're two weeks away from free agency. You're less than two months away from the draft. You've seen these guys at the combine at the Senior Bowl. You may get, you know, a private workout here. See a guy, you know, perform a pro day. But I mean, man, I mean, it's just it's just really you have what you have at this point with these quarterbacks. And is Chris Ballard going to pull the trigger on one? And it's just really going to be fun to see if one of these new guys is donning Colts blue and. You know, fans are rushing to the pro shop to pick up Jordan Love jerseys or, you know, uh, Justin Herbert jerseys. And uh, one thing I know for sure that Darius Fountain's going to get have to give up that number here within the next two months. So Deion Kane's gone, so he can go ahead and bump up to eleven. So Love, who is it? Love, Herbert, Eason, all wear really all 10. yeah, really all the guys that could come in are could uh, uh, any of the guys really that could be our target at thirteen or thirty four. They were ten. He can he can give but that I think number. If, but if we somehow draft Anthony Gordon at thirteen, I don't know if he can wear his college number. No, no, he's he's not. He's for not context, wearing. He wears eighteen to, for the people that don't watch Anthony Gordon. He'll be he'll be the opposite of Manning. Manning went from sixteen to eighteen. He can go from eighteen to sixteen. Yep, that's I a, think that sounds good. That's a fair compromise. But I I only say that Darius Fountain needs to give up his number because like the single digit thing just kind of like throws me. Like I'm just hmm. not used. And I just don't like it. So it's just purely an aesthetic thing for me. So hopefully Doreen's Fountain is nice and gives up you his number. You mean to tell me seeing Burt Jones and Jacoby <laughs> Brissett and other single-digit Colts quarterbacks did not leave a bad scar in your in your mind? Like, for some odd reason, I know this is just, like, way off track and random, but the, one of the only single-digit numbers I like is number four, and that number's not going to be available. So it's like you're going to have to see Jordan Love in, like, number five. I saw him wear that at the Senior Bowl. You're gonna have to see him wear number five or number uh, number eight. I don't. Oh man, I just I just can't do it. So they. <laughs> I think single digits should be reserved for probably like the special teamers, the uh, kicker, punter, and long snapper. The Chad Kellys of the world can keep you know number six. I just number four kind of works for me. Maybe it's just the Jim Harbaugh thing, and 
don't know. It just looks, I like the number four. I liked 44 on Clark, you know, so I don't know. The number four just kind of works for me, but you're talking about five or six or eight, like eight to me is like the ultimate, like loser quarterback number. I don't know why it's just, it's just this thing that I have with aesthetics. So Doris, if you're listening to this and we draft Justin, uh, Justin Herbert or Jordan Love, please give up that number 10. So we don't have to see uh, J- uh, Jacob Easton trot out, trot out in the number nine uh, next year. So that's just a random tidbit that I wanted to end this with. Is there anything else you want to talk about? We've really, really gone on about this. Really, really gone on. If anyone is still listening, we really appreciate uh, your dedication to this podcast and this topic. Maybe there will be because it is something that, you know, people are just still so immersed in, but, you know, they've probably long gone by now. It's it's the most important position in all sports. And I think it's rightfully so that we have to give it its own podcast. And I think it's kind of rightfully so that we give it, you know, its own time limit because, like, there's so many different options that could, that could, the Colts could go down and there's just, you know, endless possibilities of what could happen. And like we said, this, this is going to change the franchise future for the next 10 to 15 years. And we convert, we've conversed and debated with, with other fans on Twitter and, and our other social media preferences for months now. It's just great to be able to, you know, kind of kind compact it into one, you know, prolonged kind of explanation for where our thought processes are coming from and why we want them to go the route we go on. And, you know, the bottom line though is Sam, you know, I'm glad we, you know, extended a little bit because I do want to say, you know, a lot of people say, you know, if you're a Jacoby hater, I'm going to be so happy when he succeeds. I'll be happy. You know, I don't want, the only reason I say I want them to do something is because it's what I as a fan think is best for the team. Now, obviously, again, we have guys that are much smarter than us in the front office, much more capable than us. And whatever they do, I'll be behind. I've always said I will gladly eat crow every time. I will be wrong every time. If a player if a player proves him right and I eat crow, I will gladly eat crow. Because that better yeah. the team. Yeah, and that's 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 ultimately my only my only agenda is this team winning. Everything that I want for my teams, regardless of of league, is I want my team to win. And that's why I have the thought process and the path that I want them to take. And if, if they decide not to go down that process, guess what? I'm still gonna be wearing my Colts jerseys on Sunday. I'm still going to be rooting for this team. I'm still going to support Chris Ballard. I'm still going to support Frank Reich. This is just simply a podcast of entertainment for us. And and in terms of what we, based off of what we've seen, is kind of just our insight to other fans that are maybe, you know, kind of questionable about this, you know, getting a bunch of information that don't follow it as heavily as we do maybe, you know, that, that just kind of casually follow in. And one day you hear about Derek Carr, the next day you hear about Tom Brady, and the next day you hear about Philip Rivers. And it's just kind of a lot to take in. So I just felt like it was important for us to go on here and talk about this process. But ultimately, whatever Chris and Frank decide to do, I'm going to support them. And I'm looking forward to next season regardless because I still think we have a very quality young roster and a growing roster of players that I'm excited to see. I just hope that it's with a quarterback that can provide that next step and that hope for a next step. And so, I mean, like you said, two weeks before free, agency, 50 days before draft, it's it's going to come up so soon, and I'm I, I'm honestly not ready for it. I'm excited, but not ready for it. But uh, that's probably going to wrap up this show. We really appreciate you guys for listening to this extended episode. Hopefully you didn't see the time limit whenever you started this show, because I think that it's probably going to scare a couple people away. But I'm going to encourage you guys to listen to the show and listen to the entire show and everything like that. We appreciate it very much, because it was very long, but I think it was needed, of course. 
Um, I know it, it's actually got it's a show you guys wanted, so we gave it to you guys, of course. Um, we'll have a couple more shows before free agency comes out, so make sure you stay tuned for those. Uh, we appreciate you guys very much for listening to this long show about us rambling about one position of 53 in the NFL. So we appreciate you guys listening. We hope you guys have a good rest of the day. <laughs>